This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche. Tenzin Rinpoche is the founder and resident teacher of Ligmincha Institute in Virginia and was one of the first lamas to bring the Bun Dzogchen teachings to the West. Tenzin Rinpoche is renowned for his depth of wisdom, his clear, engaging teaching style, and his ability to make the ancient Tibetan teachings highly accessible and relevant to the lives of Westerners. He's the author of several books, including Healing with Form, Energy, and Light, and The Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep. With Sounds True, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche has created an integrated book and CD learning program called Tibetan Sound Healing, Seven Guided Practices to Activate the Power of Sacred Sound, where he gives you the tools to access wisdom and compassion using the vibration of sacred sound to cultivate the healing power within your body's subtle channels. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Tenzin Rinpoche and I spoke about body, speech, and mind, the three doors to practice. We also talked about his experience teaching people all around the world, and especially his experiences with Westerners. We also talked about the idea of inner refuge and what he calls the practice of taking three pills. Here's my conversation with a great innovator, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche. Rinpoche, you teach in what's known as the Bun tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. For listeners who are unfamiliar with this tradition, can you give us a sense, a feeling for what this tradition is about and what it focuses on? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm very happy and honored. Um, so, Bun tradition is the the ancient, the indigenous, the spiritual tradition of Tibet. So, according to oral history of Bun tradition. It says it goes back to 17,000 years. And uh, the, the, the teachings in the Bern tradition, it's very similar to other schools in the Buddhist tradition, uh, but there are some very specific and unique uh, in Bern, which is very much uh, like more ecological and uh, very much earthy, and working with the nature and the spirits of the nature. And so there are a lot of uh, 
causal, what we call causal vehicles. It's more like a form of shamanic traditions. The control is very rich. And uh, then, of course, there are a lot of other uh, transformative practices of Tantra and uh, great perfections of Shea, and they are very similar to other schools also. Well, 17,000 years dating back that far, that's a very long time. I'm curious, did you see that the tradition changed in some way or was impacted in some way by the introduction of the written word and books? Was this oral tradition transformed in some way when that happened? Absolutely. I think uh, like every oral tradition, when it's written down, and also every oral tradition which is more intellectual or philosophical oriented oral tradition, they do get some impact by in the process of change, uh, more than actually rituals, because sometimes the ritual traditions are more with the chanting instruments, prayers, and more family to family generations. So usually they don't change so much. It's more they keep on doing what has been keep on doing, you know, the parents and the grandparents and so on. But when it's a little bit more intellectual part and discussion part, <clears throat> some of them do get changed. So I think, you know, like there might be some 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 shift changes, but I think as an essence, most of it same. And now you've been recognized, you were recognized as at a young age as a tolku in this tradition. Can you explain to us what that means and how this recognition took place? Yes. Um, so generally, uh, tulku means uh, reincarnation, and uh, so it's uh, quite uh, common in Tibetan tradition. Um, so the way it gets it is recognized is uh, by previous teachers, and and they. Either teacher who passed away, they leave something behind, saying, "I will be born in, in such a time, in such a family, some signs of places, and so on." And particularly in my case, it was not exactly like that. It was more my first teacher, Lopez Sanjitinzi, uh, who was the one of the most important teacher in the Burn tradition. And very early age, he he was the one who have recognized me as uh, the reincarnation of Chundur Rinpoche. Chundur Rinpoche is a very important scholar, and he have also authored, have, uh, published many books. Did you yourself, or do you yourself, have memories of this previous incarnation? Uh, I do not have uh, direct uh, memories. Sometimes uh, I do feel like some sense of, uh, uh, some sense, some energy, some blessings. Or uh, some some sense of character personality that I feel may you know like similar to knowing a little bit about the previous uh, the master. So I feel a little bit like a, or some familiarity, yes, but not nothing uh, vivid memories of past life. Mm-hmm. And just continuing here to set the stage for our conversation, can you tell us a little bit about your early life and training? Yes, so so very, very early age, you know, when I was uh, um, four, five, six years, I was in a boarding school, in a Christian boarding school, and my parents took me out from 
from the Christian boarding school and around age 10, 11. And I came to the Tibetan community in the Burn Monastery. And so as a teenager, I was recognized. And uh, so it was very, very intense, actually, very intense training. So children's, as a children, was really, really difficult and uh, to, you know, to study, but there's not much playtime. There's no other other kids to play with. And so I was, I was living with the two uh, older monks who are my teachers. And so morning till evening, practicing, steady, even as teenage, it was very tough. Mm-hmm. And here you are now, keeping this tradition alive and teaching people all over the world and teaching many Westerners. And I'm curious what your experience is like in teaching Westerners. Are there aspects of the tradition that you think Westerners can pick up on very easily and other aspects that are like, God, I don't know if these people will ever get it. What's your experience like? Yeah, well, my experience has been... uh, different as a year's passing um in a very early year when i first time came to the west you know i was very much more like traditional so that i the way i have learned and i was trying to teach exactly the way i've learned regardless of uh, knowing the backgrounds of people regardless of knowing what where people are coming from, what they needed, but I was really like teaching as I was taught. So it was very difficult when I did that. And also it was not so beneficial because uh, people really did not get it. And uh, also there's a lack of communication. You know, after 20 years, I feel like, uh, you know, much, much better. So I feel like more communication and I feel like I can... Uh, I hear them more, I feel them more, I see the, their needs, what their needs are, and uh, I think um, it was a very much a development, you know, personally for me. So I, as, I have also personally learned so much from my students as I teach, so it was a benefit for both sides. Can you give me a sense of what kinds of innovations or changes you've made in the last 20 years in presenting these teachings so that they can be sure, better? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, one of the thing is that I was, I'm trying to, rather than caught up so much on a specific text or specific uh, theory or specific uh, ritual, uh, I'm trying to understand a little bit more of people. You know, I'm trying to look at the person uh, even as a small group of people or group of people that I'm, you know, talking to, trying to see them, feel them, and trying to sense as much as possible where they are. And uh, and then trying to just do my best trying to communicate to their, their issues, what they, they are coming there for and what their, their interests, their, the things they are interested to learn. And so the in the end, uh, the the approach is not so much uh, trying to uh, complete a specific chapter or specific theory, specific concept. In the end, uh, the the goal is uh, trying to make sure that they understand some specific 
practices so that they can apply the rules practices in their life to able to make some changes in their life, the life that they're living in that current moment. And so trying to very much trying to bring the teaching, the knowledge right to the point in everyday life, in everyday situation and specific person's situation. So that is really like a more like a the approach which is quite different. What I used to do is not pay attention at all to them, but but very much caught up with a specific text. So I'm I, uh, loosening up my connection to text and trying to connect more with the people. Mm-hmm. But as far as uh, the essence and the teaching is concerned, obviously, you know, it remains the same. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. Sounds True hosts an annual wake-up festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. This is a gathering of spiritual teachers, artists, poets, and anyone interested in the many faces of awakening. For more information about the Wake Up Festival, please visit SoundsTrue.com forward slash wake up. And now back to Insights at the Edge. We're talking here about keeping the essence of the teachings alive. And I'm wondering if you could summarize for me what you feel that essence is. Well, in the the essence of the teaching, uh, primarily, uh, it's the the wisdom and compassion. So there is a wisdom, the knowledge of wisdom, which is really like the the most important essence, that which which helps to cut the delusion, cut the doubt, cut the, cut the ignorance, and so that is, I think, the most important is the essence, so that people recognizes their true self. Uh, their nature of their mind, the nature nature of reality, they understand that truth. And then the other the other essential aspect is the compassion, that we are not so much caught up and focused on ourselves, but trying to uh, open for, to others and to be helpful and to benefit to others. Uh, so that is like a two most important essential points. You know, so there are many different ways that one can approach that, but particularly the wisdom is very, very critical. So it's very important to be, in a way, to be right. So you know, so it's the right message should be right. Mm-hmm. I'm really, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm really appreciating what you're saying about how over the last 20 years your approach has changed. And I'm imagining, you know, you sitting with a group of Western students and people's concerns, including things like Will they have enough money to live their life? And will they be able to have happy relationships and not be lonely? And, you know, just sort of the standard concerns people have about their health and their families. And I'm curious, given that, because I'm imagining this kind of group of people you may be with, how has that then affected how you approach 
delivering the teachings? I mean, I realize you're not working with a text in the same way. What are you doing? Yeah. So, for example, and, you know, one thing I can say is uh, after many years of teaching, I came up with uh, a, a simple, uh, a very profound and very simple approach called Three Door, uh, Three Doors Program, So, which is actually we have a program. And, and in this program, basically the whole idea is exactly the same. So what people are trying to do is I teach practices related with their body, very much like we have five basic exercises. And then there is a nine cycle of breathing, so which is also very much related with the body. So that is the practice of the body. Practice of the speech, trying to be more aware of one's speech, and then also work with more like the vibration of different sounds. So then the, the practice of the mind is very much the, the, the awareness so the the, the state of awareness, state of rigpa. So, so these three practices, body, speech, and mind. And I teach them, and I said, this is the tool, this is the message, and what you need to do is you need to, to change. This will help you to change and transform your life. And the t- life, not the, not the idea of life, not somebody else's life, but your own current life the, that you are living uh, and I divided that into three. I call it personal, which means like as some of the things yes, you said, you know, worried about health, you know, like your food habit and your your uh, your relation to your your self image, for example. So it's very much how you see yourself, feel yourself. And the second one is the relationship that we live with people. We, you know, your your families and so on. So that's a very important part. And the third part is the profession. So the work that you do, how what is your view of your work? What is your view of money? What is your view of other people that you work with? How what is your relationship with them, and so on? So these three areas, I say, uh, you need to do a transform. Uh, people that I have trained three door program, they have to transform sixty three points. That means twenty one transformation in their personal life. For example, they would. One one of the students, she said, okay, her, she changed her relationship with the food and she lost, you know, like 25 pounds in four months. So basically, it's it's not like a diet, but it's a relationship to personal relationship with the food that she changed. Or like in a family, she would, one person said that, you know, like she have not uh, connection with her sister for 18 years or something like that. And after she made made her things to reconnect through the practices, and she able to reconnect, uh, and she is she has a very decent relationship now. Who, who never she have never talked eighteen years, things like that. So I trying to give the homework rather than saying recite this mantra for hundred thousand time. I say transform in your life what you see is necessary to transform. Here is the practice. How do you can you can be helpful. You can. This is the tool here. You can do with, work with. Mm-hmm. I'm very impressed by this, and impressed by your innovation. And I'm curious. At any point, have you had any fears? You know, could I be diluting this tradition, or is there a precedent for this type of creativity and how the teachings are communicated? And, uh... Not absolutely not. You know, of course, I try to be careful, and I uh, consult with my teachers, 
elders and uh, but the you know since age 10 11 i have been whole my entire life i'm dedicated to the teaching and the practices and i do myself every day practices very engaged with practices so i know uh, you know what is true and what is not true you know so so i'm trying to you know go directly to the points of the teaching rather than having so much you know background history vocabulary and, and you know all those things rituals and so on things so so that is the approach and of course you know like not everybody will understand but probably more people will understand that approach than more complicated approach so we and also we don't only do to people who are long-term students of Tibetan Buddhism, but we do teach these simple practices, like in in a prison prison settings. We we have international prison project, for example, or we 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 are doing some of these tools that I have given. We have done like some research in the MD Anderson Hospital, you know, Houston MD Anderson Hospital Cancer Center there. So the 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 group there they have a they got it a big funding over two million dollars of funding to do research on some of these exercises I teach, and it's shown scientifically shown a great result. And these people who have done the practice, they are not a practitioner; they are people who are sick and uh, you know they're going through cancer treatment. So it's benefiting them. Mm-hmm. So these are like a, a real a practices, regardless of their background or belief. If they're doing the practice in the right way, they are benefiting physically and health-wise. Mm-hmm. So that is the approach. Now, I'm curious about the study that's being done at the cancer clinic you mentioned. Can you tell me what practice the participants are doing? This is the, they, they have done, uh, what it is called, we call it salung exercise. Tsa uh, means channels, lung means wind. So the practice exercises with the channels, winds in the body so energy exercises and uh, uh, there's a book called awakening the sacred body that is the book i mean that there's a dvd inside so that ex- these are the exercises which were studied at the md anderson mm-hmm. i'm very curious about these exercises they're also included in an appendix in the book and CD instructional program you've published with Sounds True, Tibetan Sound Healing. And as you mentioned, they work with different channels in the body. And I'm curious, could you describe a little bit if somebody wanted, somebody who's you know maybe not a practitioner but wanted to just get a sense of what the Salung practice is like, could you? Sure. So, yeah, when they, when, with the Tibetan Sound Healing book also, you know, which was uh, published uh, by the Sound True, so we also have another research at the same hospital, MD Anderson. They have done research on that, that's those practices also. And they have also shown uh, um, a positive results, like, a, like a, you know, like when they go through chemotherapy, they deteriorate their uh, cognitive abilities, you know, so the memory deteriorating their memories and so on. So it's also shown some more positive signs, so they're doing more research on them. So the basically... The idea is that, you know, in our body, there is these chakras, like we, we primarily we emphasize on the five chakras, but, you know, the, usually there's a, uh, seven chakras. So these energy centers in the body, 
like in a crown, throat, and heart, like a navel. These areas, basically, what we believe, they are a specific um, junction of channels, energy centers. And when you work with the physical exercise, you open them. When you work with a specific breathing exercise in those locations, you open them. When you draw a very clear attention uh, to those areas, without particularly with the movement of the body or, or the breathing exercise, you still open so those locations by merely drawing your open attention to those places. So what is understood is when you when it opens, what is what it do? There are specific qualities in those locations. For example, in the heart that when you open, there's more sense of like a joy or love will come, or in the throat there are more sense of peace. So different emotion states will naturally or effortlessly arise in these energy centers because physically and energetically the blockages are removed. Mm-hmm. So when when these psychological, positive psychological qualities merge, so it, it that is the what... It helps people's body, it helps people's health, it helps people's changes, people's mood, so on. So that's that is how it is believed. Mm-hmm. And then you briefly mentioned the practice of the five warrior syllables and how that's also being looked at as a study. Can you describe what is this practice and why are they called warrior syllables? Yeah. So the the reason why it's called warrior. Uh, is because, you know, like in our life, sometimes, you, you know, people, people, sometimes people will say, oh, I'm going through battles through my sickness, or I'm going through battle of situation of my divorce, or I'm going through a battle situation of my depression, whatever, some kind of like a, you know, like a big challenge, war kind of, almost like war, fight, struggle that you are facing through the, ch- uh, through in your life. So somehow, Warrior means that sometimes we feel that we lose. I'm fearful. I'm vulnerable. I cannot uh, really face that. I cannot really process those situations and emotions. So I'm very weak. But but if if you feel the open these chakras, these channels, and uh, those winds and those qualities, then you feel like a strong, like almost like, a, okay, I can, these inner understandings can actually uh, cut those negativities and ignorance and overcome. So so that's what it's called. Warrior means it can overcome the pain, suffering uh, caused by five root poisons and overcome ignorance. So it will, the warrior means it can kind of go beyond the ignorance and the, it, what all the suffering that it has caused. That's what it means like saying warrior. Mm-hmm. You talked about these three doors, body, speech, and mind. So would the five warrior syllables, that would be a practice that would fall under the speech door? Yes, exactly. So so the five warrior syllable, it's absolutely, it's fall under the speech and speech, in a sense, here is we are talking about a pure vibration of energy, which is very sacred and which has actually a power 
to open and reconnect with certain qualities that which is hidden in us. Uh-huh. So in the practice, we work with each one of these five syllables, and then we put it all together in some way? Yes, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, the five syllables are like uh, first syllable will be ah, and uh, second will be om, third will be hung, fourth will be ram, and the fifth will be za. So basically, the co- concept is that, for example, if somebody wants to do ha- live joyful life, happy life, living happy life, and which we all want to live happy life, but sometimes we don't, is you cannot force yourself to live happy unless those quality of happiness is ripening in you. So, so that's the last one is the action. Za is the action, but you cannot have those action unless it's ripened. That is the syllable ram. You cannot you cannot ripen those qualities such as joy unless this quality you have connection or you you feel this connection inside yourself. So that is the hum, the third syllable. And you cannot have this quality unless you feel some sense of more full or complete or worth in yourself, that clarity, that light. So that is the second syllable, the om. So you cannot feel that, you know, sense of complete or or feeling worth or feeling uh, full unless you are, you, you, all the obscurations are cleared. Uh, so example will be, you, uh, first you have to clear the clouds. If the clouds are clear, the sun will naturally shine. So clearing cloud will be the syllable ah. And then sun shining will be syllable om. Then feeling the warmth of sun will be the sound hung, like so that you feel the quality in your heart, like joy or warmth. And then ram will be mature enough to ripen the fruit. So if the sun shines enough and hits the fruit tree, in some point it will ripen the fruit. So that is the ram, I said the ram and za. So these are like a very specific a map that you can achieve everything, anything, but you do have to follow the structure of this five-step five structure, the map. Uh, most of the time we want something fruit, but we don't know how to create a cause and conditions to have the, that fruit. And is this practice a practice that is thousands of years old? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, thousands of years old. And uh, yes, you know, uh, we these specific explanation of these seed syllables are very old. And so, so what I'm trying to do is a little bit more trying to bring this more in a personal life. So I'm trying to one of the main thing what I'm trying to do is you know not always talk in a meditation on a cushion, but trying to bring in life. So trying to bring the meditation in action. And I say, you know, selecting something, you know, like you don't have to dig your problem, but you, you, if your problem is coming to you, then you have to recognize the only way you can overcome your problem when it comes to you, you recognize it's coming to you and dealing with it with the practices, you know. So what you're saying is that I don't only work with these warrior syllables when I'm on the cushion, but I somehow work with them in the midst of my everyday life? 
Absolutely, absolutely. So that in the book, and I talk about. Can you give me an example of that? Yes, of course. Uh, for example, that if I, uh, I let's say, if I go to the office and I, uh, um, I meet a colleague or boss, which who I have a little bit challenging relationship. So if you, the moment you find yourself in that situation, you you know immediately your body is contracting. You're more likely to do or say something not right, so you will. That will be our normal reaction. So, so that very moment, I say, be aware, be aware of the ah, you know, feel the vibration ah, feel that meaning of ah, which is the space. Just feel a moment of spaciousness. So you draw attention inward, and feel that spaciousness. So the moment you feel the spaciousness, you will feel that sun, that awareness. You will feel that warmth, like like some sense of joy or warmth, and you will that that warmth will show you something. It's not so, something that you need to think what to do that moment, how to act, but the right action will come out from that spaciousness and stillness if you trust that rather than asking your fear and your anxiety and your ego to asking what to do. So so if you apply that way in that moment, yeah, that is how things life changes. Mm-hmm. Now, Rinpoche, you teach all over the world, and I'm curious, do you find that people in different parts of the world are more or less easy to teach? Well, I think in some sense, um, all the peoples are people, you know, like uh, the similar situations of problems and, you know, similar situations or how they work with the practices. And uh, some sense is very similar. Of course, then each country has some characteristics are different. You know, some, some are more intellectual, some are more emotional. Uh, but, you know, like some interesting things somehow like a po- Poland and or like a, some South America or something like that. I just recently came back from, you know, Peru, Chile, and Colombia. So a lot of younger people are you know, very much engaged in terms of the age group, much more than in the United States. So somehow, I don't know exactly what what, what the reason, but, you know, there are more younger people engaged with in the, the spiritual development. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, it's difficult to say. Some somehow, you know, some basic things are the same. All everybody. Do you have a high degree of confidence that these teachings will continue generation upon generation beyond you, based on what you're seeing in the world now? You know, I think uh, that is absolutely. I hope. I pray, and also uh, trying to, you know trying to adapt uh, to, to adapt a little bit to the society uh, as far as the the presentation of the teachings and the relation to the teaching and I think those those presentation and those relationship I hope that in the teaching will uh, maintain its most maintain its essence you know to help a lot of people in in the future you know and um so you know, sometimes every 
the person who is part of very ancient tradition like myself and my teachers, we all have sometimes suffer and we all feel like it's very difficult to kind of to see how we can preserve, how we can keep it, keep this so that it will not dis, uh, disappear from the face of the earth. And so it's kind of always a challenging. Uh, and so, and sometimes uh, there are some changes not necessarily like, but we, it's kind of sometimes happens or needed to happen. So personally, sometimes I try to be more part of those changes than not disliking, rejecting, criticizing, complaining about the changes, but I just try to be part of those changes. And so to try to, instead of controlling not to change, but to be part of trying to change the best way it can be changed, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Tibetan Sound Healing Book, in this appendix in which you teach the Tsa Lung exercises, there was one sentence that I found very, very interesting. And, you know, this is based on my own experience, but I'd love if you commented on it. And here's what you wrote. You wrote, abiding in the central channel of the body is the discovery of inner refuge. So basically, um, the first of all, the notion of inner refuge is I talk about the the stillness in our body, the silence in our speech, the spaciousness in our heart. So these are what I say three doors through which we can go deep inside ourselves. And the deep inside means through the stillness of our body, we can reach in unbounded sacred space. Through the silence of our speech, we can reach in this, this inner peace and like what, what I call like infinite light, infinite awareness. And through the spaciousness, the door of the spaciousness of our heart, we will reach in that a warmth, that inner bliss. So these three places, three experiences or three realizations are inner refuge. And they, no matter what spiritual background, what belief background you have, it does not matter. Every single individual have these inner refuge experiences, sacred refuge. Some are able to access them. Some are able to not access them. Some are able to access easier. Some are able to access a little bit, you know, difficult way. But we all have them. So these three places, as far as the channels are concerned, they, these three inner three channels represent them, three, these three experiences. And the central channel especially represents the most purest aspect of awareness is in our central channel. So when we connect that, it is our inner refuge. That means it will help protect us moment of challenges. It will guide us moment of when we don't know what to do. And uh, it will show basically every step of our life. Uh, just the, the right thing will be there, right, right situation will be there if we're able to trust and be in that awareness. I'm wondering, Rinpoche, just this is the last thing I'm going to ask you a favor, and if it feels okay to you, which is I wonder for listeners who have not discovered yet what it feels like 
to touch, let alone abide in the central channel in their body. Is there a practice you could talk us through right now that would give people a chance to experience that, to touch that? Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, first of all, uh, I would say in, uh, I will say a few words, and then if you somebody says, oh, I forgot about it, remember what you said, I put something also on a YouTube. It's called Three Pills. Three Pills. So in the American Western world, we eat, people eat a lot of vitamins, people eat a lot of pills. So I say three pills, white pill, red pill, and blue pill. So the white pill is the stillness of the body. A red pill is the silence of the speech. And the blue pill is the spaciousness of the heart, spaciousness of the mind. So I said every day, um, whenever you face a specific challenges in your life, look that challenge not the exit, but entrance to yourself, entrance to that inner refuge, inner sacred space within you. And um, so, for example, if somebody said a, a very mean word to you or did something very kind of not nice, we normal reaction will be we immediately look at the person, we look at through our fear, angry, anger, and we look at the, what person did. So that was normally we will do, always we do that. So instead of doing that, the moment you are almost almost ready to do that, just remember to take three pills. You look inside. You look inside and you remember these three things, white pill. What do you do? You just immediately listen to your body, connect with your body. Just feel the stillness. Of course, you have to be still. Your body has to be still and feel that stillness for a moment. And then you listen to the silence. Of course, you know, there will be, there might be sound, voices around you, voices in your head, but you, if you listen to the silence, you hear it. Like, this very moment. And then you draw your attention to the heart and feel the spaciousness. There is, heart is always open. And you draw attention to there, you'll feel that a degree of openness. Sometimes you'll feel more, sometimes you feel less, but you will feel it. So moment you feel any, all three or any of the, any of the three, this will help you guide you, the, uh, you know, like to find that inner refuge. Um, this will guide you to uh, know what to do if, you know, it's, it's not like a specific things, you know, sometimes we say, oh, I, I cannot just go into the stillness, but I need to do, know what to do this moment. But it will, it will help you what to do, you know. Mm-hmm. You will be surprised that the message you will get uh, you will feel protected there. You will, you will message. You will get. You will know what to do, and you will be surprised how how you got the message. What to do? Mm-hmm. So it's a that is, I think at least what I recommend to people to make commitment to yourself. Say I will take these three pills at least three times a day. If it's necessary, I will take more. But three times a day, 
I will make my self-commitment. So end of the day, before you go to sleep, remember, did you take your three pills today? So that will be my advice. Very good. Rinpoche, thank you so much for sharing a bit of yourself, and I just want to commend you for being so pioneering and finding so many ways to communicate and connect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche has created a book and accompanying CD called Tibetan Sound Healing, Seven Guided Practices to Clear Obstacles, Cultivate Positive Qualities, and Uncover Your Inherent Wisdom. Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.